Welcome back to another School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined as always by Matthew Chandler. And this week we get uh, an RBM contributor, uh, Brian Lewis, back on. Uh, how are you guys doing today? I can't wait to talk about these two games, Gino. I've been looking forward to it all week. Um, it should be quite cathartic. Good to have Brian on as well. I know it's Brian's last time he was on was a, was also a defeat, so is it maybe a pattern emerging? Here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we also win the next match after Amar. So, so yeah. he he kind of breaks the curse. Like he's like, he's the one who comes okay. in and he's like, all right, like he's the stopper. <laughs> well, um, oh, well. Let, 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 let's get into it. We might as well, we might as well start this episode off and, and try and get through what was this past week. Um, obviously, it started off with um, uh, losing – or, excuse me, tying Leicester, Everton, uh, tied them 1-1. There were four changes to the lineup from the Sheffield United – or Sheffield Wednesday win, excuse me. Uh, Pickford was back in for Olsen, uh, Keane in for Coleman. Um, Davies in for Decore and Dean in for Sigurdsson. Um, so, um, you know, a little bit of that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit of that, that back forward center backs that we're normally used to. Um, Rodriguez scored an unreal goal in the 30th minute to put uh, the Toffees up one nothing, And then Tielemans gets the 67th minute goal off the pick from mistake, which we will get to. But let's start off with the setup. Um, what was your guys' opinion on the setup? Was it unnecessarily defensive? Uh, I thought maybe, but like you saw how well we dealt with it against like Chelsea in particular. That I felt that I never felt like we were we were really sort of on the rocks and, and really in trouble. It felt like we had a pretty decent handle on on Leicester. I don't. I don't really remember Pickford having to make that many saves in the first half. Really, I think there was a lot of pressure, but not many like clear-cut chances for Leicester. Um, problem for me was more after we went ahead. We we just, I mean, Leicester are obviously going to come on to you because they have got they've got more to go for because they're losing. But it just felt like we sank and retreated deeper and deeper much earlier than we should have done. I mean, like you know. The, the sort of the penalty box was so crowded by like even the first 10 minutes of the second half, which is kind of what you normally see maybe in like the last 10 minutes of a game if you're hanging on. Um, and and it was weird because once Leicester equalised, um, once Tielemans made it 1-1, I don't, again, I don't really remember Leicester having that many chances again, really. It felt like everything kind of on top for the last 20 minutes. Probably could have won it. Um, I mean, it's, it's frustrating because you think you think how well we played in that reverse fixture um, and how, how much we kept Leicester at bay then. Um, and you think how close we were to another win here. Um, it, it, was, it was just a shame because I, I don't think we needed to be that sort of... We didn't need to put sorts, you know, two banks of four so deep against Leicester so early in the game, I don't think. Yeah, I the thing I always have to reconcile kind of in my head is, you know, we look at Leicester and we're like, oh, we should compete with them. We should beat them, da-da-da. But then you look at the table and, you know, for the last five, six, what, five-ish seasons, give or take, I mean, they're 
more or less the top four side, pushing for a top four. And so the the defensive setup I get, especially with how they can hit us. Um, I you know I I've kind of begun over the last couple of weeks. You know we're we're hitting kind of that grind of the season. You know we're we're really now. You know historically we'd kind of be coming out of that Christmas period. You know with the the fixture congestion and everything, and that's always been a rough time for us because of squad depth, because of the, the, the kind of the, the lack of talent relative to some of the bigger clubs. Um, so I, I think I'm kind of kidding it with the, all right, we, we've got to work with the fitness and depth that we have, you know, set up to maximize our success. And being a little defensive against Leicester isn't necessarily the worst thing, especially given the injuries we have. Um, but yeah, I agree with you, Matthew. Like we, it's not like Leicester had a lot of chances. I, I checked the expected goals. They were 0.79. Now, granted, we were 0.47. Not, a, not exactly a, a great opportunities ourselves, but it kind of just seems, you know, what we saw in that match was, hey, a few opportunities. We, we took a great one. I mean, they capitalized on a bit of a mistake, and, and that was about it. You know, without those two moments, it's probably a, a nil-nil draw, and we're a little more pleased with it, I think. Um, but it is a point against the side that are currently in the top four, which is never a bad thing. But were you, but were you surprised by how how early we went so deep, Brian? Because I think that was what it was for me. It was like I didn't. I, I appreciate that a draw against Leicester is a decent result, but especially at home, I just felt like. Um, we, we, you know, we could have taken the game to them maybe a bit more than we did, even with the the injuries we got and the depleted squad that we got. I was just a bit disappointed that we didn't make more of an effort to to force them back. Yeah, and I'm not surprised we went defensive initially, just because that yeah it, that just tends to be a natural reaction. You yeah. know, it, it's like even if you look at you know, you know, even Manchester City will do it occasionally, but then you'll see them pull out of it, um, you know, whether it's Pep or the players. And this almost seemed like it was, there wasn't a lot of interest from the bench to get us out of it, which was, I think, that w- that was the part I, I didn't love. Like, because if, if we're, if Ancelotti is kind of pushing it, hey guys, you need to, we need to step up. We need to get out a bit. You know, it's not necessarily a, you know, we're off to the races and open to the counter, but it prevents us yeah, from getting too deep. Um, but it, that I would have liked to see that a little bit more, but you know, it's also one of those hindsight's 2020. Yeah. If, if Pickford makes that save, we're probably, you know, even if we give up another goal, we we may not notice it quite as much. Yeah, and also, also I think, I mean, we'll get, I'm, we will talk about Newcastle in a bit, but I think, had we beaten Newcastle and, and backed up that draw with a with a routine win on Saturday, then I think you'd probably look at Leicester as a better point now than you would have have then, because you'd have the three points afterwards. You'd say, you know, four points out of six from a week from two games in a week. It's not perfect. It's not a bad return, but I just think because that Newcastle game, 
kind of made Leicester maybe look like a bit more of a missed opportunity just because of, especially because of how cheaply we gave away their equaliser. You know, that was a really good yeah. chance for, for um, yeah. as much as Leicester pressed and, you know, much as they probably deserved something out of that game, we are just like one comfortable Pickford save away from winning that game. So I guess that, yeah. those are the kind no. of irritating things from this game. Yeah, I I do agree. Yeah, um, you know, just to go back to the the defensive point, um, yeah, I would agree that we dropped back a little bit too early uh, defensively. But um, again, you guys have kind of hit on all the points. Um, you know, Lester typically hits you on the counter, so I'm not sure the setup was was a bad idea. I just think um, you know maybe just dropping back in, into uh, our half of the field too much uh, too early was was maybe uh, you know a big a big problem, um, you know, moving forward. It, it was a good point. I think if you look at the point, um, you know, before the game and you, you as we mentioned, uh, you know, for me personally, I, I kind of expected a point from this game. So obviously you look at it in hindsight and, and it's, it's, you know, like you said, Matthew, after the Pickford mistake, um, you know, you're, you're like, wow, we could have had three points that game. And then after Newcastle, which we'll talk about, uh, it hurts even more, but um, going into that match, I think I think it was okay, and I think we all expected to have, um, you know, have have at least uh have a point there, and 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 felt that that would be a good idea. Um, let's talk about the Pickford mistake a little bit, Matthew. Um, I really, what happened with this? I mean. What was your take on on really what happened here and and you know Pickford in general? I guess you know this is the first one in a while to be mm. been fair, but yeah. um, a little bit back to old Pickford. It's just a shame because it, you know he has not been outstanding, but he's been more solid than he than he has been. Um, and first of all, I think the cross that initially comes in, he should just leave because I think it's going out of play, isn't it? Um, then you've got, you know, I mean, it, I mean, he's slightly unlucky that it goes through about seven players, in, you know, in between him and, and Tielemann. But I mean, and, 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 it's a, it's a, I mean, that is being very generous because it's, it should be yeah. a pretty routine save. It's not a particularly hard, hard stroke shot from Tielemann. Um, and he, yeah. he kind of parries it in. Um, the, the worry, I think, particularly with this one, is that I've often felt that like Pickford. Is at his best when he's most when he's kept busiest. I think often you see his mistakes come when he, he hasn't he hasn't had anything to do for a while and he's not switched on uh, totally. Um, and you think of like his best games for Evan have been like against Chelsea and Liverpool when we've you know drawn nil nil or the Tottenham game when he was he was solid and commanding when he's been kept busy. This he he was kept busy and he still made like a a, a, a stupid mistake which cost us so that's I think what I'm more slightly worried about now and also I don't I don't think he I don't know if he should be playing I think I just I don't think Olsen has done anything wrong when he's played and I think I know Ancelotti's given him some chances and he will again now because Pickford's injured but um, as well as as better as he's been I I don't think he should be Evans number one at the moment just because I think you play Olsen, he does nothing wrong. 
he, he looks pretty calm. He looks pretty uh, at ease with the defence. I don't think there's any re- there was any reason to drop Olsen. Um, and again, like Brian said, it's like hindsight, isn't it? And Pickford has been doing better lately, but this this one just felt particularly bad because it cost us points because it was in a game where it was a really important game and because it was in a game where he was kept busy and still made a mistake. Um, and I don't know. I don't know what we can really say about it. We haven't said before about Pickford because it's not a new problem, is it? And the fact yeah. that these things are still happening is maybe a more greater cause for concern than just like the mistake in isolation. I think it's even more of a you know a statement on him that we look at it and we say, oh, this is the only the first. This is this is the first one in a while. You know, you shouldn't be saying that about your goalkeeper. It no, exactly. Yeah. You know, his first ever or, you know, yeah. oh, I'm surprised this happened. You know, we have to give him a pass. But the fact that we're saying, you know, oh, this is his first one in a while, like, it is probably not uh, an indictment on his, you know, on his play in general. But, uh, Brian, your thoughts? Yeah, so the mistake itself, I mean, it, it was two things. Yeah, One, it was a screenshot, and it was pretty heavily screened. Um, now it's balanced out as it's not a it's not as hard like if if that shot's ripped you know like a real rip with the laces i'm i'm not blaming pickford for that because it's with the screening however the pace of it he should have saved it but it comes down to it is the same mistake and that is he's not mentally tuned in for distant shots like you look at where that shot came from, um, it's it, that's the consistent problem with Pickford um, more than anything else. Yeah, you get an occasional thing with a cross, like you mentioned, Matthew. Um, you know that one luckily didn't. You know, wasn't as bad as some of his others. But pretty much every mistake Pickford makes, for the most part, is a distant shot where he is not set. And he's not ready and he's not looking for it. And it's all mental um, because that, I mean, that shot was certainly savable, but even some of the others that are a little more out of his reach. I mean, I know he's only six one, but at that distance, it's all the mental, it's all getting set and being ready for the shot. Now, the, the one caveat I do have is we talk like, Oh yeah, it's the first one in a while. I mean, I think, what was his last mistake? Early December, late November, if I recall correctly, something like that. Um, maybe, maybe the so, um, yeah. I think yeah, uh, he did have a great game in the derby, didn't he? And then I think maybe I think some people put that goal against Leeds on him, didn't they? The, the long range goal and the Burnley goal. Yeah, but I, think, I think this is certainly the worst of any of them. I think anyway. Yeah, and and the thing that I'm I'm hoping here is that it's a work in progress. Like I, I feel like, you know, we, we've had a bit of a spell where he's been fine. Um, but then we, there were, I'll say multiple mistakes, if not a bit more in the first part of the season. So it kind of becomes that thing is, is he, are they working on it and improving it? Because if they're doing that, then I'm a little less worried because this, this isn't something you just flip a switch and, you know, someone either gets it or doesn't. It, it's, a, it's a process. There, there's a lot of work on the mental side. 
And that's why historically you don't see keepers really entering their prime, you know, I'll say until you're 29, 30 and Pickford's only 26. Now he's got a lot of experience relative to 26 year old keepers historically, but there is still just that, you know, you think just personal maturity. Like you think of any person and how they mature as they get to their thirties. Um, same thing has to happen for goalkeepers. And I think you see that with Pickford's personality. Um, there's still some work that's got to be done. And it, it kind of comes down to like, yeah, I, I shockingly will still disagree that Olsen's necessarily better. I, I think he's had it. He hasn't had as much to do for me. Like I, I don't yeah, see Olsen's peaks. Like, yeah, like, I mean, I think we know Pickford's peak. And when he hits, when he does that, like we don't, we don't have any problems. Like we are in fantastic shape. But Olsen just hasn't, and to be fair to him, he hasn't been asked to do that. Like there hasn't been a match really where we've gone, hey, go stand on your head and go do that. Um, but you know, with, so for Pickford, for me, with the investment and his age, I think it's still worth exploring. But depending on how the next, you know, four or five months go, it could be one of those times where you go, hey, you know what? Like, we think you're talented. This could work. But maybe it's just a change of scenery needed. You know, it could be one of those where he moves on regardless of how this year goes. And he ends up recovering that form of his first season here just because the change of scenery does something, which could be good. Yeah, I, I, I would also say, you know, um, and we'll get to this a little bit, um, a, a, a probably a full Goodison would cause him even more problems than, you know, he's probably getting the benefit of not having a, a full Goodison right now because um, if he made all the mistakes he made at the beginning of the season, um, I feel like his mental state probably would have been even worse with probably Goodison getting on his back. So that probably – has helped him a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, trying to develop throughout the season and fix these mistakes. Um, But yeah, it's just the long range shots again. And, 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 um, you know, it's something that, you know, you hope gets fixed. Um, I agree with you, Brian, in the sense that I'm not sure that, um, you know, Olsen, Olsen has done really well, but maybe he hasn't been asked to do, what Pickford's been asked to do in certain senses and, and make some of the saves, make some of the saves and, and like you said, stand on, on his head uh, like Pickford has in some instances. Um, But obviously still disappointing with the mistake um, and obviously cost us a couple points. Um, He does have an injury now, a rib injury after the Newcastle game, which we'll probably also get to in a little bit. Um, So that will give Olsen some time, probably at least a game, at least the game against uh, Leeds to kind of, I guess, prove himself even more. Um, So we'll see how that plays out, but still a lot of developing to do for Pickford and some things he needs to work on. And um, we'll see if (laughs) the race against time, whether he develops first or we get rid of him first, we'll see which one, um, which one, uh, you know, comes to fruition. Uh, The other thing really is Dean at left wing. Um, obviously with the four center backs, 
um, playing in the back, playing across the back line. Dean needed a spot, so uh, Ancelotti's been playing him on the wing a couple times. What are you guys' thoughts about him on that wing and, and kind of being a, a left winger instead of a left back? Matthew, will go to you first. Um, I don't think he's as effective there because I think he's better when he's coming from deep and he can maybe um, you know, tap into that partnership he has with Richarlison. Um down the left flank. And I also think you don't have to um say, you know, discard Ben Godfrey just by playing Dean at left back. Because obviously Ben Godfrey has done amazingly well at left back, but I I feel from watching Godfrey and the fact that he's already played in three different positions for us that He's so versatile that you could you could play him somewhere else and he would do probably just as good a job as he's done at left back. So I don't think it's like it's not like um I don't think you're necessarily compromising Ben Godfrey or Ben Godfrey's form by moving him out of left back to put Dean in. Because Dean is obviously an upgrade on Godfrey at left back anyway. So and he's you know, he's one of our Evans best and most important players and they but they especially need to play, I think, in their best positions. Um, so it feels like um, kind of a sticking plaster or a temporary solution. I don't think it's something that we'll see, you know, every week or particularly often. I think when more people are fit or available. But um, I don't, I don't think you don't need to keep Godfrey a left back. I think just to keep him in the team. I think he could play elsewhere, and that would allow Dean to play in what is I think a better, better position. He didn't have a bad game. I didn't, you know, it wasn't terrible against Leicester. I just thought um, he would probably have had more joy coming from deep and firing in those crosses. But then he did play well against there against Wolves. So I guess you know it's a game by game thing. You have to look at it. But um, for me, I would, I would, I would just put someone as important and as and as quality as Dean in his best position. Oh, Brian, how about you? Yeah. No, I. Agree as well. It's a it's a stopgap because it means like it's not only that he does well. Like he's got to have that depth to come forward. You know, come deep, move forward, use some of his pace and skill at speed. But uh, I think it's also when you when you put him out there as a defender, he's naturally inclined to come back and sit. So you've got your four center backs. You've got him out on the wing. Well, now you're essentially going to have five at the back more often than not, especially in those moments where he's not able to think. You know, like it's, it's oh, there's a turnover. I've got to get back. And then he can end up too deep relative to what you want, you know, even if he's not necessarily sitting on top of Godfrey or whomever else is at left back. And as soon as you do that, you open up a lot of space on that side, which can create some problems. Um, so I, I, I don't love it from that perspective. And, you know, going back to our Lester comment, you end up with guys, you know, too deep. That, that's one way it happens. Um, I also think like, he's good defensively. You know, I, so I don't know that you need to do this, but, when you look at some of the other positions, injuries, things like that, I can see why it happens, but it shouldn't be a permanent. I, well, it definitely won't be permanent, and it definitely shouldn't even be a 
much more than break glass in case, case of an emergency type of situation. Yeah. Um, you know, I agree with you guys. I, I think that, um, you know, like you said, Matthew, he's better when he's overlapping with Richarlison and coming around that outside, he has more space to work with. I guess it's more of a, you know, obviously he's not overlapping every time. So it's a little bit more unpredictable. Whereas a left wing, he's, you know, that main source of attack down the left side. So, um, obviously getting a little bit more attention there as well. Um, but, you know, I think, I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's not, it's, it's one of those things where it's, you know, in worst case scenario, if this is what we have to do, I think that's, that's where Ancelotti will use him, but his best position is left back. And, and, um, you know, despite the fact that, you know, Godfrey and Holgate have both been playing really, really well. Um, I, I think Dean, Dean should definitely be, be playing there um, in that left back role. Um, just, you know, uh, one other thing to talk about um, from Pete's five telling stats. Um, really the biggest thing was, um, Richard, or excuse me, uh, Rodriguez, Hamas Rodriguez with another uh, goal to add to his now 11 goals and assists at Goodison. Um, you know, really, uh, a really good job by him really at home. Um, obviously, uh, Pete also mentioned in there the fact that he's only done this at home, but um, some caveats to that, the fact that he's only played six games on the road and the fact that um, half of those games were during his out-of-form spell. Um, but, you know, an- another great performance from Hamas and uh, really just, you know, proving to be more and more worth uh the chance that Ancelotti has taken on him this season. Yeah, and I would, I thought like, it did feel like at times like Evan, his teammates were kind of looking to him for kind of a piece of inspiration, which obviously he found with a goal. I mean, it was, it was a fantastic finish, and he was by some distance Evan's best player, I think, on Wednesday, as he was against Sheffield Wednesday, um, the previous game. So, um, it's it's really encouraging, even though our form has kind of dipped this week, to see Rodriguez back, um, back at flying again. Because I don't I don't think he ever had like a dip, you know, before he got injured. But he was it was obvious that he's kind of burning out a bit and kind of struggling to keep up that level that he found in the, in the first few games. But he looks back to that now, and, and we can't just like rely on players for like one-off moments of individual brilliance, but at least, at least with someone like Rodriguez, it happens more often than maybe other players. And, and it is so good that you kind of just have to marvel at it. Um, I, I think he played kind of centrally in this game as well, which I think suits him obviously more than playing out wide. Um, and maybe that's something to explore. I mean, he did again, kind of against Newcastle, um, Again, maybe that is a better place for him to be now, especially with Josh King coming in, uh, which we'll talk about later. Um, I think we've seen him at his most effective in these games where he's played maybe more centrally. Because um, even against Sheffield Wednesday, I think he started on the right, didn't he? But it felt like he was constantly drifting inside and taking up a more central role. Yeah, um, yeah he was coming, he's yeah. been coming back and receiving the ball a little bit more, a little bit better. And just feels like, like you said, it just feels like when he has the ball there, he can kind of distribute where he wants and, and find those little pockets of, of space to put the ball into. Yeah, and I I think, um, you know, 
it, it, it's hard because you, you don't want to kind of just like, like I said, um, you you need to we need to be more proactive and not just depend on like one-off moments. But uh, Rodriguez is so good at those kind of things that all those like killer passes or those great strikes that um, Everton I think are very lucky to have someone like him. And things like that give me more confidence that we'll break out of this kind of this kind of up and down form or this kind of you know this barren run that we've been on a bit. Um, lately, especially at home, because in the past, you know, when we've had kind of ordinary squad, um, then it's been kind of harder to hang your ha- hang your hat on anything. At least now you've got not just Rodriguez, but also Dean and Richarlison if he ever finds form again, and Calvert Lewin. So um, while it's not been a great week, I still think there are positives to 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 find. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Brian, how about you? What'd you think on uh, what's your thoughts on on Hamas these past few weeks? I like it. Um, the, uh, you know, he's definitely been more noticeable. Um, the one yeah. thing for me, I think, is that he's even at his most brilliant. I look at him as he's a piece of the puzzle, not necessarily a key component like right now I think he's got an outsized influence because of some of those critical pieces we lack in the squad even when we're healthy uh-huh. um, but you know with his skill set and what he does and doesn't do you know it, it's occasional that he's going to kind of carry a team in a match like he can do it but he's not a guy you're going to ask to do it all the time and you don't want him to that's not his skill set um but it shows you know kind of what we still have to do but also where if we get the talent that's going to match up with him then we're in you know we're we're in phenomenal shape you know it's kind of that you know, one of the things we occasionally have a conversation about is, oh, well, when you look at Everton's talent, you know, yeah, we love our starting 11, but who really stop, starts in a top four side? Yeah. Yeah. He would. You know, there, there are a couple, but we need to get everyone up towards that, that level. And that's where, you know, it aspires. And it, it, from some of the rumors, he does seem to be, you know, he wants to win, he knows what it takes. Is going to help be that locker room presence, which is really important. Um, so yeah, I, I like it. It's just also to me a little bit of a all right. We as a squad and building it, we've got a way to go. Yeah, I, I think I think um, I think I don't know. I think I think we're yeah. I think we're headed in the right direction. I think that there's a lot of good with the team and a lot of good with the squad. I think, obviously, depth is the biggest thing, which, again, we'll talk about. Obviously, adding Josh King may help in certain areas, which we will talk about, which we'll get to. But, um, you know, I think Everton are headed in the right direction. Obviously, a tough week for them, and we'll get to Newcastle um, in a second. Um, but, you know, I think I think there's definitely some good signs, and, and Hamas is definitely one of those really good signs uh, in, in the club right now. Uh, Let's take a quick break, Uh, but after that, we'll come back and talk a little about the Newcastle game.
All right, we're back, and we're going to talk about uh, Newcastle, Everton. Um, obviously, the Toffees losing 2 nothing to Newcastle to uh, account for their second loss of the season against, against them. Uh, there were four changes from the Leicester draw. Um, Coleman was in for Holgate. Um, Godfrey came out, and Dean did move back to the uh, left-back position, and Sigurdsson came in for Godfrey. In that midfield, um, Ducore for Davies, and then a Wobi for Gomez. Um, Callum Wilson with two goals, one in the 73rd minute, one in the 90th minute. Um, Matthew, we'll go back to you. Worst result and performance of the season? Yeah, because because of the uh, the run that Newcastle had been on, and um, <laughs> kind of a sense of inevitability about it, wasn't it? Maybe, um, um, but I know Ancelotti said in his press conference today uh, before the Leeds game that I think he said it was after the game as well that he thought Everton were lazy and that he thought that it was as if that Everton thought they could just beat Newcastle because they are better players than Newcastle um, and didn't have the sort of spirit or the attitude to underpin that and that's what cost Everton I think Newcastle just wanted it more Um more spirited, more determined. And they played better than Everton, didn't they? I mean, I don't really remember Cardalo, apart from I think one shot from Rodriguez having anything to do. Jordan Payford was, even before the goal, the busier goalkeeper. Um, and Everton got what they deserved. And I think, I'm, I am, um, you know, I, I actually quite like the team that you picked, but I think, in, you know, before when it came out, but in hindsight, you look at it and think, can we can't can we get by without Godfrey and Holgate because Holgate has been probably the better right back than Coleman I would say at the moment um, and Godfrey is just so industrious and tenacious and energetic that again do we have someone who matches that in his place you know on the on the evidence of Saturday probably not um, yeah. I mean I think you can learn things from it and maybe not use it as a positive but certainly. You know, um, you know, like I said, learn from it and and um, improve. Angelotti said as well that you know it might be a good lesson in terms of knowing that you can't just get by on on quality and that you need to get that application to backfield. And if I didn't know that before Saturday, they'll definitely know it now. Um, you would also they the Rotherham game, but well, the Rotherham, West Ham game, or the Leeds game, or the bloody. Oh, the Newcastle reverse game. Although, although um, the West Ham game is looking, I guess, a little bit less of well, a yeah, problem well, I mean, was, up there. But well, I don't want to like. I would also say that I don't want to um, completely let the players or even the manager off the hook. But there is something kind of jarring. I think even as a fan, just watching games in like an empty Goodison. But I imagine it, it probably does make it a lot harder. I know Goodison can be a more toxic place to play and manage sometimes, um, like we saw with like the end of Silver or Allardyce or Mar- Martinez in particular. But more often than not, I think Goodison is a kind of galvanising effect on Everton's players and and you know beneficial for them. I think playing playing in the kind of eerie backdrop. Again, I'm not saying it excuses the performance because Evans should still have had it within themselves to beat a pretty awful Newcastle team. 
but I just I am and again it, it's the same for for all teams isn't it it's the same for the whole world at the moment apart from you know <laughs> countries where who are COVID free now um, but I think at least I think what you can say is it kind of puts to bed this idea that Goodison is a detrimental presence on Everton's players and, and that um, Everton are better off playing without them. I take your point that you made before about Pickford. Maybe there are sort of isolated cases where you think, you know, fans getting on the backs without them, they play better. But on the whole and generally, I think it shows you again what the impact a crowd can have. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think I don't think we would have taken no points from Leeds. West Ham and Newcastle at home if we had a full person. Well, yeah, there's just there's certain there's certain things that a crowd does. And, you know, in a situation where Everton were sitting back and, and were kind of being a little lazy in this Newcastle game, you know the crowd would be on their back and that would probably will Everton forward. Or, or in a situation where, um, you know, Leicester score you, and, and Everton get a couple chances going forward, you know, minutes after, you know, you know the crowd will be behind them and, and, and willing them forward. And and it's no, you know, mis- it's no, you know, mistake knowing that, or it's, you know, it's no secret knowing that, you know, players get tired at the end of games. And sometimes that crowd and being at home rejuvenates players and keeps them going through the end of the game. So um, obviously playing in an empty, in an empty stadium has been tough, I'm sure, in some circumstances. Obviously, it's been a good thing, but um, it's definitely been tough in some circumstances as well. Uh, Brian, what were your thoughts on the performance, the results, the, the empty Goodison, all that? Yeah, um, you know, it was funny. As I was watching, I was texting with a friend, and I go, this is a boring game, but it's not – like we've had some boring games where you go, that was some ugly stuff, like just from both teams or Everton. And this didn't strike me as that. It just seemed more like a match where you're like, oh, yeah, they're passing around. No one's really interested. Lazy is not a bad term at all to use. But then, you know, when we were talking in our Slack channel after the match and some pointed out, like, this was only Newcastle's second match with higher than a two expected goal number. And the last time was when they played us in the first fixture and I was really surprised by that because I mean yeah their their two chances were were very good well I mean the goal was well taken but a low expected goal and then obviously the second goal was yeah wide open but I didn't think they had that many opportunities um, as you would expect and they ultimately only had three shots on target same as we did um, and so it it was a little odd to see some of the numbers that bad. But yeah, it was just I I hesitate to put too much into this match just because it screams of the mid season doldrums. Um but and it kind of that, hey, when you play Sigurdsson deep, there's not a lot there. Like and I, I don't blame him for that. That's he's not a great defensive midfielder. Like he's kind of that opposite of, um, I always look at Ryan Giggs where played forward. And then as he got older, you know, with moving them around and that he's not doing that, you know, he doesn't have the, the legs. He's 
kind of got to be up top for the team's sake. And I think he does better when he's got a bit more of a forward role. Um, I think that exposed us in particular in creating the attack, um, you know, because there just wasn't a body there. A lot of times I was looking where even when we had possession and we were, you know, trying to move forward through 20, 30 yards of space in the middle of the pitch because no one was there. And then I think we saw it because then uh, Calvert-Lewin's not getting support. He's not getting that service, um, you know, out, outside of one or two opportunities. So, yeah, it was frustrating, but I don't, you know, we have these, again, it comes down to the players we have and their quality. And you're, you're just going to have matches like this. Yeah. I, I you know, I think in this match, uh, I think it was definitely the worst result and worst performance of the season. Um, because like you said, Matthew, you know, the form that Newcastle was in, you know, they hadn't won a game in seven weeks or something like that. Um, you know, the, the quality that we had on the pitch, you know, we had, we had a pretty solid team and should have been able to go out there and, and win this game probably pretty easily. And, and I like the fact that, um, you know, Ancelotti was getting on the players and, and, you know, I, I think maybe it was you, Matthew or Calvin that said, um, you know, this is really the first time he's ever been really angry at a press conference or, you know, visibly or verbally like, you know, pissed off. Yeah. Yeah. Upset with how the players played. And I think that's a good thing because in this situation, there was definitely reason to be because I'm not sure anybody really played that well. The first 10 minutes, you know, it looked like, you know, the first 10 minutes, there was so much space on that left side. They were finding Dean every, felt like every pass, it would just be, you know, they'd, they'd work it towards the right and then switch the field uh, towards Dean, who was in loads of space. And they got their couple chances, and then it looked like they kind of were like, okay, well, this is pretty easy. And they slowed down and just started passing the ball around and kind of expected a goal to come. And obviously that's not how <laughs> how that works. Um, I think so, in hindsight you got the midfield probably wrong. I don't think – the Corey obviously plays, but um, you know, Sigerson is not a defensive midfielder, is he? Um, no. I think I, I bet Sigerson I see now as the kind of player who, if you want to play him, then bring him, maybe bring him on to sort of see games out rather than, you know, starting in a deeper midfield role because it's not his game at all. And it's not going to be because he's, what, 31 now and his legs have gone. So it's not, I don't think it's something that you can sort of work into him or the, a, a role that he will grow into. Um, I mean, he was just terrible in this game. I mean, he, there was a point in the first half where I think he was like pointing at players again and all sort of dropping back. And there was no kind of urgency, not just from him, but a lot of players to, to join the attack, I felt. Yeah. Um, the other one I would touch on, like I said before, was Coleman. I just, I know Coleman started the season really well. Um, I look back to his best. He looked like a much more solid defender as well than he has been lately. But ever since he got that injury in, I think it was international duty with Ireland in October, whenever he's played for us, he hasn't looked anywhere near as, as impressive. Um, and I think he's another one now where you have to look at and think it's time to start phasing him out because um, at his age, is he going to get any better? Probably not. Um, and I feel sorry for Mason Hoggate because I know right back isn't his favourite position. Or, you know, it's not, he wants to be a centre-back, I think, but... Um, 
he's he's done really well, I think, at right back, and and probably has offered, you know, more more than if not, you know, as, as much as Coleman has done or would have done from right back going forward. Um, so I understand that you know the back four full of centre backs felt like a very temporary problem, and you obviously need, like I said before, you need Dean in there now, I think, because it's his best position. Yeah, but. You didn't really need to fix what wasn't broken, I don't think, massively, because Mason Holgate was doing fine there. Just leaving there where he was and you know, reward him for the good form that he's been in by, by continuing to play him. Um I didn't understand that one. I didn't understand the Sigurdsson one. Um it just felt like maybe we showed Newcastle too little respect in a way. I know I know that I know they struggled a lot, but it just felt like we felt we could just go all out, go all out attack at them, and and not really have that kind of industrial presence with industrious presence with someone like Godfrey or Holgate. Um, I, I, think, I, I think that if we played up to our potential, that lineup would have worked. Per uh, well, maybe not with Sigurdsson, but I think that going yeah. all out attacking, I think that that was what the plan was, and I don't think we actually ended up going all yeah. out attacking. I think that was the problem was we put out a lineup up there to be basically provide waves of attacks and just keep going at Newcastle and battering them. And yeah. the lineup that was put out there didn't do that for the whole game. So but I it, think was that- very dis- it did feel disjointed though, didn't it? I mean, it wasn't like, I know what you're saying, but it didn't feel like a lineup, a team that worked just because of how. No, yeah. Well, I think it's more... Yeah, I think it's more having Hamas and, and Siggy. And obviously, I agree with Coleman that Coleman just hasn't been himself and hasn't really offered as much going forward as – or hasn't offered much more going forward than Holgate has. But I think going back to Sigurdsson, it's just, you know, having Sigurdsson and Hamas in that same space, it's, you know, Hamas is basically doing what Sigurdsson – can really only do like we mentioned. So I think that's where it comes a little bit disjointed because you've got a couple players who do the same exact thing. Um, and neither of them really are typically tracking back. And that was, you know, that's obviously an issue when Decore is the only one who is typically a, you know, a central midfielder, like a typical central midfielder, a central defensive midfielder. So I think that's probably where most of the problems come from is, is just that, that midfield where, I feel maybe, you know, somebody else would be better suited than Sigurdsson in that sense. But, um, I mean, also, I mean, if we're and, – and, and just to go on Coleman more, um, I, I think that's definitely – especially with what we've seen, and we'll talk about this as well, John Joe Kenny going on loan again. I think that's definitely a position we need to look at in the summer. Um, you know, that right-back position, get somebody in like that Dean quality to, to get um, – to kind of replace, like you said, Matthew, replace and start phasing out Coleman because he, he seems to have lost, kind of lost his step a little bit. Um, but yes, yeah, lack of form. We also have to talk about Richarlison. Um, he has been um, not great. <laughs> what are your guys' thoughts? Brian, we'll go to you. What's your thoughts on Richarlison been over these past few games? I mean, it's... <sighs> You know, it's kind of a, a chicken and the egg type of thing because when you look at our numbers, even this year, with him versus without him, he, he drives the team. Like, it, it's, it's really crazy how 
great his numbers are. Um, but obviously, you know, he, he's a little petulant. Um, I, I, it really kills me, but he's talented. And, you know, how much of it, though, is, hey, we just don't have a, a backup that does what he does um, or you know, just a little bit of luck or something in between with all of it. But I, I don't know that he's the reason we're playing poorly, but he, he's not a leader. He's not a guy who's going to turn it around for us. He feeds off the rest of the club and how the squad's playing. So if we want him to play better, it's more addressing other pieces of, of the team. Matthew? Um, I, don't, I don't know really with Richarlison what's gone wrong because you would, you'd think now with Luca Dean back and Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Rodriguez all played with him that he would be, uh, you know, he'd have everything he needs to, to find his form again. And he played, you know, he scored that header against Sheffield Wednesday and a little bit brighter. Um, but, just, just, I mean, I know he never really does, but he just doesn't look happy, does he? He doesn't look really confident. The thing that I struggle with, and I do, I understand why he does it in a way, is it felt, especially against Newcastle, like a couple of times, whenever he got the ball, he would look to try and create an opening for himself rather than for other players. So he would, he would, you know, he would take shots at goal which were, you know, fanciful and you know, didn't go in because they were so unlikely to go in. Um, when, you know, the, the more sensible and probably better option would have been to, to play a pass to a teammate. Um, it feels like he's trying to force it, he's trying to force his way back into form, whereas I think if he just plays his natural game, um, if it, he just lets it come naturally to him, I think he will be... Um, he will more quickly rediscover his form. Um, the problem is, apart from maybe Josh King now, there's been nobody that you can really replace him with. Because, like I said, Luca Dean, maybe, as a left winger, but not ideally. Yeah. Bernard hasn't really taken any opportunities he's had. Anthony Gordon's gone on loan. And again, hasn't really pulled up many trees, if I've been honest. Uh, it will be preferred to move the side. So who have you got? I mean, it's not like... it's it's Again, it's a problem of lack of competition as well. I think it's part of it. Um, We've seen how that's benefited people like Pickford, you know, Leicester aside lately. I think conversely, you see how it can be to the detriment of people like Richarlison and to a lesser extent, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, even though I don't think he's been as disappointing because he hasn't been scoring. When you basically just get flogged because you've got nobody else of your quality in your position or of similar quality. So I have some sympathy for him, but there's just something not right there. Um, and I think he... Maybe he just needs to trust himself a bit more. Maybe trust the teammates a bit. Again, like I said, rather than just trying to trying to force the moment a bit. Um, but I think he he is having a bad season. But I think he is too good a player to write off and say he, he will never rediscover his old form again. I think he, I think he will come back. I'm pretty I'm confident of that. It just it just needs to be more sort of careful and, and maybe not not so hasty and expecting it to come back because like we've seen with um, you know 
of the way that he kind of will kind of kind of runs trying to he tries to like go on these marauding runs through defenders and and take off shots which are never going to go in or or you know not play sensible passes to teammates. That that to me is someone who is is having a lack of confidence. And I know he does that a lot anyway sometimes, but it just feels now especially he's trying to play his own way back into form and it isn't really working for him. I think the, I think the King signing will help him, but I think also just a bit of faith in himself, I think, will will go a long way to him rediscovering his best form. Yeah, I think he's just been, like you said, I just think he's just been trying to a little bit too hard. Uh, yeah. It just looks like he's moving forward and, and driving forward and looking to create stuff on his own. And, and when he gets the ball, I, I think, you know, the fact that he hasn't scored a bunch of goals this season is also getting to him a little bit. And he's trying to create something that isn't there when in reality, he just needs, you know, that will come. He just needs to kind of play his role and, and do what he does and, 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 you know, try and just be a part of the team right now and then create the, the goals will come and the assists will come and things will open up for him. Um, but, you know, just, I think he's just trying a little bit too hard right now. He looks like sometimes he's dribbling in new players and, 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 you know, giving up the ball too much and, you know, he just needs, um, he oh, needs, we, saw it with, um, we saw it with the penalty thing against Chelsea, didn't we? Where he yeah. Penalty off Sigurds and whatever. He's obviously desperate to, 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 you know, end this sort of barren run. He's obviously not happy with himself, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. I think also... Um, he needs to wait for the moment to come to him rather than trying to force the moment to happen. Yeah, and I, I think also just, you know, if reports are true about him, you know, saying, you know, give this season and if the things don't change this season with Everton, I want to move on. Maybe that's playing into it a little bit and the fact that he's not scoring goals, so maybe his opportunities elsewhere would be going out the door if if Everton don't aren't in the position he likes at the end of the season. Um, so, you know, I guess there could be some outside factors, but hopefully he gets back into form because when he's go, running on full cylinders and, you know, it just makes this team 10 times better. And, um, you know, I think it's a clear, you know, not having that option on the left side. I think it's hurting Dean. I think it's hurting Calvert-Lewin. I, you know, I think it's, you know, I think the team is suffering from the fact that he's just unable to kind of find form right now. Um, I also think as well that like probably COVID uh, hasn't helped him because I think he's someone who he goes back to Brazil a lot. He's quite close with his family, I think, isn't he? And, and yeah. maybe having a less direct line of contact with his family or not being able to visit him probably probably doesn't hasn't helped him either. Again, that's not a unique issue for Richarlison. It's the same for a lot of players, but. It wouldn't surprise me if that is, you know, maybe a contributory factor to his lack of form. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, going through just Pete's five telling stats again, Everton have now lost uh, four of their last seven home games um, going back uh, in the league at least. Um, you know, obviously going back to a little bit of empty Goodison and obviously that playing into it a little bit. Um. Everton haven't won a half, a game at Goodison that was level at halftime in over a year. Um, you know, for example, this one was level at zero and, and unfortunately a two nothing loss, which the last three matches that have been level at halftime have been losses um, at Goodison. Um, and then, you know, 
as Pete puts it here, sideways SIG. Uh, he had a 90.9% pass success rate, but a lot of it was, you know, conservative passes to the, you know, safe passes to the side or, um, or backwards and, um, you know, an unfortunate, you know, obviously not, not pushing the ball forward too much in this one. Um, Everton finish same distance between fourth and 11 points inter on points. Um, so, you know, obviously things could go either way. And then the next few games are very important, I think, into where Everton find themselves, you know, towards the end of the season. And, and ha- you know, I think if we can get back on track, you know, a win, you know, tomorrow at Leeds, which we'll talk about would be very big for that. And, 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 you know, a good step in the right direction. Um, all right, let's take a quick break and we'll come back. We'll talk deadline day transfers and, and kind of, um, you know, where the club is at moving forward after that. All right. Uh, heading into uh, deadline day, Brian, unfortunately had to leave us. Um, we thank him for coming on. Um, but it's, so it's just going to be me and Matthew the rest of the way. Um, and, and again, we'll start with deadline day. Uh, obviously Everton bringing in one player, Josh King from Bournemouth on a small fee. Uh, he'll be on a contract till the end of the season. Um, and he'll, um, you know, if, if Everton like what they see, they'll have the opportunity to sign him uh, longer or he'll be a free agent. Um, on the way out, Jonas Lossel, uh, Micheland, um, which is, I believe, in Denmark, correct? That's a Denmark mm-hmm. club, I believe. Yeah. Um, he, went, uh, he left on a free transfer. Um, Tosun to Besiktas, Kenny to uh, Celtic, Gordon to Preston North End, and uh, Beningami to Derby, all loaned. Um, uh, and then, of course... Uh, actually, no, that's it. That's, that's the loan. So that's the business that Everton did, of course, on, on deadline day. Um, and then Branthwaite and Sims also a couple of players leaving on loan before that Belassi as well. Um, so let's just talk about it. Um, we'll talk about the outs, um, players who are kind of leaving the club, at least on loan. Um, we'll start there, Matthew. What were your thoughts on kind of Everton's cleaning of the books a little bit? this this transfer window um disappointing that you can't we didn't get permanent takers for anyone apart from Lossell but then you know it's it's always gonna be hard I think to convince people to buy people like Tosin who are on bloated wages and you know probably have no resale value etc so um it's like and Balassi as well. It's the same thing, isn't it? Same problem. Um, but you know, I would you'd like to think that the loans mean they the wages are at least you know split a bit between the two clubs. Um, mm-hmm. So in the case of Tosson, I think that will be a relief in particular. In the case of Beningami, maybe as well because I'm sure Beningami's not on masses of money, but I don't think people expect him to make it now, do they? Because he's 22 and you know, when we had we had no midfielders last season, he didn't still didn't get a chance really. So, um, John Joe Kenny and Anthony Gordon, I think, is good experience. Again, I don't think I'm not sure if Kenny has a future at Everton, but um, put him maybe in the shop window and maybe uh, maybe drums up a bit more interest for him if he does well at Celtic. Uh, but Anthony Gordon, I think, is probably the right decision to let him go because I don't think he's looked 
really that ready, I think, for yeah. regular Premier League football anyway. And I think playing in a you know, in a real grind of a league, which is which the championship is, will I'm not I don't think he's an immature player, but he'll certainly, you know, he'll certainly grow up a bit, I think, in the championship. Um like we saw people like Holgate and Ross Barkley do before. Yeah. So uh good move for him and Lossell as well, I think, um was not gonna be um, playing, I think like, he never had played, and I don't think he was going to get any game time, even with Pickford now injured. So, um, pleased for him that he's managed to find a club that he, especially one that he had success with before. He was, I think, he started out at Michelin, so it's nice for him to go somewhere where he enjoys playing and where he actually will get game time. I think, rather than just be Evans' third choice. So, I think overall the outgoings. Mostly good in terms of the players they got out. It's just a shame maybe that we didn't get one or two more out permanently, but it's a notoriously difficult window to do that in, isn't it? So, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, on on Gordon, I think I think you're right. I think you know Preston is a good spot for him to go. Um, I think I think just getting him out on loan was good because he wasn't going to get too much playing time, and we could see, like you said, that he wasn't exactly ready. Um, despite the fact that we were all calling for him, I think I think in the few appearances that he had, he definitely needs to you know work on the craft in something that isn't the U twenty threes. So Preston will be a good spot for him to go, and you know hopefully he goes there. He you know bosses it down there and comes back a better player, and he can be a big depth piece for Everton moving forward. And that's I think you know a really big um, that could be really big for Everton um, going into next season. Um, having the likes of him and, and Sims getting good playing time and possibly, you know, being good depth pieces moving into next season uh, to help with what Everton currently have a lack of depth. Um, for Tosun, you know, it's, you know, it's good to get him off the books. He was never going to be a guy who I think was going to get tons of playing time or, or be a guy who was going to be able to change things off the bench. Um, Kenny, similar situation where it's just good to get him out there and and hopefully, you know, just doesn't seem like things are going to work out for him at Everton. Um, you know, he's had his chances and certainly has had a chance to overtake Coleman with what Coleman has been doing recently and over the past few years, um, but hasn't been able to do that. Uh, so um, I think, you know, obviously a good job, like you said, Matthew would have rather uh, people left on loan, more people le- or excuse me, more people left on, on permanent transfers, but you know, maybe this is a, you know, uh, you know, a good start to that. And, you know, we'll see the likes of Tosun, Kenny, Balassi, players like that, and now permanently in the summer. Uh, Balassi's out of contract, so he's basically done. Yeah. Um, Tosun, I think, again, is going back to a club where he was really well liked. If he, if he, you know, really discovers his scoring touch, maybe they'll take him. Um, I think John Joe Kenny's still got another year and a half left, hasn't he? So, uh, yeah, I mean, Everton had a chance to sell him. I think this year, right? The Burnley, yeah. But oh, and Burnley too, like, yeah. Didn't sound like that worked out. Um, yeah. I don't think he will be an Everton right back but in the future, but the Celtic thing is probably a good stopgap because even Mason Holgate and probably Ben Godfrey are even ahead of John Joe Kenny. Yeah. In the order, so um, he's better off there, I think, than he is here. I'm not sure if Celtic is that brilliant a club for him to go to, to be honest, just in terms of Seems to be a lot of turmoil, a lot of unrest there at the moment because they're having such a poor season by their standards. Yeah, they're not going to win the league. Uh, a lot of their fans seem to want 
the manager Neil Lennon out. Um, whether that is the best environment, I remember we talked. I think when El Bretland was on with Pete a while ago about you know where we loan our younger players to and how when we loaned like Tyus Browning and Brendan Galloway to Sunderland, you know was was Sunderland a good club for them to go to because it's such a kind of hostile environment at times. Yeah. I wonder if it'll be similar with Celtic just because the predicament they're in at the moment. But having said that, he's better he's better off somewhere where he'll play regularly than than uh, you know stewing in the in the stands or whatever. So good luck. Yeah. No, abs- absolutely. I think I think you're right. I think he's he's better off where he plays regularly. Um and, and in the, again in the same sense that maybe Kenny to Celtic isn't the best spot for Kenny to go. I think Gordon to Preston, um uh, Sims to Blackpool and okay. and Branthwaite to Blackburn have all been you know good spots for them. So, um, you know, hopefully that is, you know, like we said, hopefully they continue to develop there and, and become big pieces for us um, going into next season or or just look to have improved going into next season for sure. Um, the one player we did bring in, Josh King, of course from Bournemouth. It was a little bit of a uh, a suspenseful ending there, but Everton do get. Um, in some attacking uh, depth in with Josh King um, after fighting with Fulham for him, uh, it seems. Um, what are your thoughts, Matthew, on Josh King? Obviously, he's played some time in Bournemouth. He scored more than a couple goals, I think, at Everton. I think there was a stat out there that said he scored as many goals at Goodison Park as Tosun has scored, which is obviously yeah. not a good thing for, for Tosun. No. <laughs> but um, thoughts on Josh King? I think I like him as a player. I just it seems very obvious to me. It's a panic buy, um, which I, I it, because it's not like it does not fit. Ancelotti said he's like the the right profile. I'm not sure that's true because it, it doesn't it doesn't tie in with the sort of signings we've made under Brands so far, does it? Probably the one exception being Fabian Delph, which hasn't worked. Um, but at least I think Everton have learned the lesson in terms of handing out silly deals to players in his age bracket because giving him a contract until the end of the season, basically trying to incentivize him to earn a new one, is better business than, say, giving him a bloated contract for three years where he will have no value and be of no use to Everton with him, maybe. But by the end of that, so. Um, that's good and also that's a sensible move and ultimately whatever this nominal fee is you know, they paid Bournemouth um, if Josh King scores the goals or creates the goals or whatever he does to help us qualify for Europe then we will basically we will pretty much make make back what we spent on him in being in the Europa League or even the Champions League so from that point of view, you know, the end justifies the means because we recoup what we spent on him. So I, yeah. I don't think it's not a risky signing, particularly. Um, it's, it's not the most exciting one. Not every signing has to be. I don't think everyone was massively excited about Ben Godfrey, for example, when we signed him. Um, and he's been fantastic. Um, I will just... I just, yeah... It, you want it to come off because Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richardson especially need a rest and need more competition. Um, but whether 
you know, someone who hasn't scored a goal in the championship this season, albeit he's not played loads of football, is the answer to that. I don't know. I think I think he and and there were there were was a good player, whether he still is or not, because of the last whatever six months or so. Yeah, I, I don't know because I haven't watched or Bournemouth, but um, yeah. he is he's certainly a better option, I think, than probably Bernard. Certainly, Chengsosen. So from that point of view, it's an upgrade. We'll just see how much difference it makes. Yeah, and I think uh, at least watching the Sky coverage yesterday, there were reports saying that um, he he, um, he didn't really want to be at yeah. Bournemouth. So obviously, I'm sure that has to play with a factor there. Um, and 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 their manager said that they would have loved to keep him, but it just it wasn't working out, and he just didn't want to be there anymore. So, um, you know, uh, I in my personal opinion, I, I think you're right. I think obviously it's 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 not the most exciting buy, but um, I think Everton did it right. I, you know, I think small fee contract till the end of the season, um, not giving him a big contract and, and, you know, kind of ask him to prove himself a little bit is, is the right way to do it. Um, obviously he's not, he's not a piece that's going to come here in here and maybe replace anybody right away. But I think his versatility across that front line is huge where he can play in any of those three roles. I think that he can, allow Hamas to move to the middle and maybe be, you know, a similar type of player or maybe a little bit of an upgrade to say an Awobi on that side. Um, so I, I think he can bring something to the club for the next six months. And I think if, like you said, Matthew, if, if he scores the goals, assists on some goals, figures out how to, you know, you know, make an impact on the squad, uh, you know, he, and gets us into a position where we're in Europa League or we're in Champions League. It's, you know, worth absolutely worth what we spent on him. So I, I think it's a low risk, high reward type of situation. If he doesn't work out, he's gone at the end of the season. Um, and Everton didn't, you know, put a tremendous amount of money into it. Um, so I, I'm 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 excited. I'm excited to see him on the field and see what he can do. He'll be in a situation where he wants to be in for one of the first times in his career, I guess he's probably in a situation where he's near the top of the table. I know Bournemouth where we're near the top of the table a few times, but never, you know, obviously we, we know Bournemouth um, and, and how they used to play, but you know, maybe this is a, you know, good jump start for him and can get him back into form and we'll see how things uh, play out there. Um, one other thing I want to mention non deadline news related um, before we move on to the Leeds and United previews. Um, Ronald Coleman speaking on Everton again, um, saying his quotes, I, I guess this was today, this is what I'm seeing it from at least, Everton are a club and also the fans who expect sometimes too much, and I think sometimes they're still living in the past about the great seasons they had at Everton. Um, I mean, obviously, Koeman. Is this the, is this the athletic interview? Um, I'm not sure. I just I've been seeing it pop up all over Twitter. Yeah, he did an interview with Alan Shearer in the Athletic, so I guess it's probably from, from that. Yeah, probably. I, my guess would probably be like yeah. from that. But um, thoughts no, on think, that? Um, I I don't think Everton is the easiest place to manage, but I also don't think Ronald Koeman maybe helped himself a lot of the time. You can't. Nobody questions Carlo Ancelotti's commitment to Everton's job. I don't think anyone really questioned Marco Silva's or Roberto Martinez either. Um, 
there was always that question mark with Kuhn, wasn't there? And that, and that was his doing more than anyone else's. Um, so maybe he should look at himself a bit. Um, or obviously it didn't work out. Maybe, I don't know whether... He, I mean, I don't know why he'd be bitter about it, because he ended up managing Holland and Barcelona since. So. I'm sure he doesn't spend too much time, you know, bemoaning the fact that he didn't finish sixth with Everton or whatever. Um, but... I think most Everton fans have moved on from Kuma now, haven't they? Anyway, he should he yeah. should have moved on from Everton. So. I, think, I don't think it's necessarily a lot of point in you know going back over old ground. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think I agree. I, you know, obviously, just something to bring up because yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously he said yeah. it, but I mean, it just you, you you're right. I mean, I think with Martinez or um, you know Silva their problems tended to be in maybe their stubbornness with their formations or, or kind of the way they wanted to play and whatnot, where, like you said, with Kuman, it, it always felt like Everton was kind of just a stepping stone to bigger and better things. And he never really had, he always had one foot out the door. Um, and obviously now he, he's, he's, you know, obviously coached Holland and, and now Barcelona, um, neither of which, which he's done a hey, fantastic job with, of course, considering, Although, at least with Barcelona this year, he's had some issues um, internally off the pitch. Um, but, you know, I think Everton, like I said, I think Everton fans have moved on from him, and I think it's about time he moves on from Everton and <laughs> and stops worrying about them. And, and uh, you know, I'm not sure why he's bitter, but, um, but yeah, I think it's time to move on. Um, that's it for uh, Deadline Day Talk. Uh, obviously, um, that's the only business. Um, so we're going to take a quick break and get to those Le- Leeds and United previews. All right, we're back uh, for the final segment here. Um, Leeds and Manchester United um, are, are Everton's next two matches. Leeds is tomorrow. Again, we're recording Tuesday, February 2nd. So Leeds is tomorrow, Wednesday uh, at 7.30 p.m. over in England, 2.30 p.m. here on the East Coast. And then um, United will be on Saturday, February 6th, 8 p.m. over in England and 3 p.m. here on the East Coast. Um, Ancelotti's ruled out Pickford already for the Leeds game with rib injury. Um, Said he hopes to have um, him back for Manchester United. Um, Allen and Gabamon out for Leeds. um, And Delph is back for Leeds. Um, other than Olsen for Pickford, obviously, because it's necessary <laughs> because Pickford's injured. Um, any other changes you could see for this Leeds United match? Uh, I would probably go with a back four of Dean, Keane, Mina, and Holgate. And personally, I would put Ben Godfrey in midfield. I feel like we would have seen it by now if Ancelotti was going to try it, but you know, so maybe it's pointless suggesting it, but. That is personally what I would do. And then probably put Tom Davies with Decore, I think. Um, because I think he has been, maybe, not, maybe most impressive is too kind, but certainly the, the least worst out of him and Sigurdsson and Gomez. Um, Josh King can't play because he signed too late. So I think you're looking at the usual front three of Rodriguez, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin again. Um it's not a bad team, is it? I mean, it should beat Leeds. So it should at least give Leeds a, a good game. Yeah. Leeds are very open, um, maybe less than they were, but certainly have the, the personnel to, to hurt them. 
Um, I think it'll be, a, it'll be a good game. Leeds like to play. They're a very attacking team. Everton um, can be when they want to be. Um, but I'm quite confident in this one just because I think it'll, there'll be a reaction from Saturday. And I don't think Leeds actually is the worst team to play. When they're in this kind of form, their home record has been kind of up and down. Um, they drew with Man City early on in the season, but they also lost to Brighton there and Wolves and Leicester. Um, so, but I think they have won the last two. They beat Newcastle yeah. and they beat Leicester, and they're pretty impressive with Leicester. So, yeah, It'll be a hard game, but there are certainly. I'm not dreading going to Leeds. Put it that way. Yeah, I mean, if you're one to look back at results and. Uh kind of judge how this game is going to go based on recent results or comparative results, obviously Leeds beating Leicester three to one. Um, and again, new beating Newcastle, which Everton could not do either of those things. Um, so you might yeah, be a little bit disappointed point, yeah. looking at that, but, um, yeah. but I think you're right. I think it maybe you know, it, it, it kind of puts, you know, maybe, maybe there's, there's a little uh, drive in the players this week to be better, of course, and, and get that win. And, um, could be very good if, if they beat Leeds and, and have some momentum, you know, beat Leeds in, in impressive fashion, have some momentum going into United. That could be really good. Um, on the Godfrey thing, I think you're right. I think if we would have, if we, if it was going to happen, we would have seen it by now, considering he's played every other position on the field, it feels like. Um, so I'm not sure that we see him, um, see him back in the lineup, or excuse me, not back in lineup, in that midfield position. Um, we may see him back in the lineup, but I think that probably would be a bad decision if we if we see him over Dean. Um, but um, not really sure. It's not going to be much different. Like you said, it's not going to be much different from what we have seen. Um, probably just a couple changes um, across the back line and in the midfield, but the front three will be basically the same because Josh King can't play. So, um, yeah. What are your thoughts on? Go ahead. I, th- I think we saw what Leeds are all about in the reverse game. That was yeah. probably, I would imagine, one of their best performances of the season. The way that they attacked Everton and got after them, and I think Everton have to be more proactive in how they deal with that if it happens again, because um, Everton couldn't get a grip with Leeds last time. It felt for much of the game um, they got to find a way of maybe fighting fire with fire a bit more tomorrow. Yeah, obviously. Also, the last time Everton that was with a back three, there wasn't it, which we don't have, any, we don't do anymore. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, there, there's going to be some differences. I think, obviously, Everton will show up with a little bit more respect for Leeds than they look to have showed yeah. up with Newcastle. So that <laughs> will probably help. Um, but um, with still no Allen, obviously, there's going to be some issues in that midfield because I believe the last time we played Leeds, we had Allen, right? Yeah. So um, there's going to be some differences in that midfield. And, um, you know, Olsen will be playing in net. So hopefully we don't get beat by a long range goal again, like we did the first time against Leeds. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Thoughts on United and, and the United match, Matthew. United are a strange team, aren't they? Because they, they were top of the table for a bit and now they lost to Sheffield United and, uh, Seem to keep drawing with these big teams nil nil and have had four this season, haven't they? So um I don't think United will win the league, but I think they are a be- better team than maybe they were a year ago. 
and then we've already had problems with them twice this season, haven't we? So, um, in you know both games in which they clearly deserve to win, they were miles better than Everton in the cup game, and they were miles better than Everton in the league game as well. Both are good, isn't it? Um, this one's quite hard to call, I think, just because United, the slump United have got into the fact that we seem to play better against better teams. Um, Again, I don't feel terrible about this game. There's certainly less pressure on us than there was against Newcastle, which I think helped. I think I'm there's less pressure on us than there was. I mean, I, so I think that if if we lose to Leeds, it's going to be very similar to the last time we played them in the league. And yeah. I think there will be as equal amount of pressure on us in this in as there was when we first played them in the league and then, of course, in the Cup. Um, yeah. So I think the last two times we played them, there was significant amount of pressure on us Whereas um, this time may carry less less pressure, I think. Um, but yeah. you know, I always say, it, you know, it's hard to beat a team three times in one season, and I don't know if that stays true with Everton, but or in 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 football. But <laughs> for us over here in America, it's definitely hard to be. I, I, it's very rare that you see, you know, a professional sports team lose three times to to a team. So hopefully that's the case for for United. Obviously, they've looked very very good at times especially against us. Um, Fernandez is going to be – without Allen, it's going to be a challenge, I think. If Allen can come back, that would significantly help the squad. Um, if he comes back, you would hope, though, that he is fully healthy because that is one thing that we've seen may not be the case, you know, with some some of the players coming back and not having great performances. Um, but it'll be, it'll be interesting. Any other thoughts on, on United, Matthew? Um, that I don't think it's it's not like a, a season defining game, but I think it would yeah. be it, it would be so uplifting. I think, especially after the last week we have, if we could go there and and, and nick a nick a horrible one 0 win or something like that, um, and you know another win at the top six ground, um. Which I don't think we've played any at since we beat Tottenham, have we? I think we've all been oh, at home. Yeah, I think we've been all at home. So um, that'll be another good test. I mean, yeah, they have a lot more quality than us. So I think it will be a hard game, especially in the attacking areas. It'll be, it will be. We are going to have to rely a lot on, I think, you know, our, our kind of low block and our resilience at the back. But you know, I think we could hurt United. And again, I don't. Mm-hmm. I think weirdly, if you ask me which game we we were more likely to beat Newcastle or Man United, I'd probably say Man United just because Everton are that kind of team, aren't they? They they, they lose the games they they probably should win at the moment and win or draw the ones they probably should lose at the moment. So um I think we'll know a lot more about Everton after these next two games, especially. Um you've also got the Tottenham FA game. The Wednesday after that's so the weather and Chelsea will have one eye on that because that is a massive game. Well, they got, well, they have Fulham before that, don't they? No, the Tottenham games before Fulham. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, and obviously, clearly being away from home helps us as well. So, that, um, I think, works in our favour for these two games. I think I'm going to... I'm not going to give score predictions because I don't know, but I, I think I'm, we'll get four points out of these next two games. Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned season defining. I think if we, you know, we don't get those results that we were expecting or not expecting, but if we don't get results in these games and, and 
you know, obviously say, you know, you don't get six points out of these games, which I think is expected. Um, it wouldn't be the end of the world. You know, if you, like you said, if you can get four points or three points, I think that's fine. But I think if you do get six points out of these games, I think that that's, that's a situation where it is a very big step in the right direction and, and just another bounce back and, and a good step towards, you know, competing towards the top of the league again. So I think it's kind of a, a you know, if you lose the games, I guess it's not the end of the world. You would have liked to win them both. But I think if you win both the games, it's definitely a good step in the right direction and definitely a big catapult into hopefully what is another uh, run here by, by the Toffees. Um, again, like you said, you're not giving predictions. I would say... I find them quite hard games to call. So yeah, they are, they, are, they are hard. I think, okay, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll give you two. I'll say I think it'll be at least 2-1. I think we'll draw 1-1 with United. Yeah, I think I think those are fair. Um, I was gonna say four. I was just gonna say four points as well would be would be um, what you would hope for and what I think we can get out of this. Um, I don't. Uh, it's hard because you know I could totally see us drawing both or you know maybe you know it's I feel like these can go either way. So um, I'm gonna go. You know I'll go. Yeah, two one to Leeds and and maybe two two. With United or two one to us, sorry, two one to us. My bad, (laughs) two one to us, and then uh, two two um, for United. Um, I think I think we get a couple goals. So, Um, all right, I think that's it. Anything else you want to hit on, Matthew? No, 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 I think that's it for this week. Hopefully, we'll have more positive news next week. Yeah, hopefully (laughs) we will. Um, All right, that's it. We'll uh, you know, please keep subscribing, following downloading whatever you guys got to do we appreciate it um you know we appreciate you guys listening in um that's it for us this week we'll talk to you guys next time